0: Welcome to the rupa subramania show everybody i'm your host rupa subramania now last week i had the privilege of testifying before the u.s house of representatives committee on the judiciary select subcommittee on the weaponization of government chaired by representative jim jordan of ohio i was testifying on behalf of the free press in the u.s where i am a staff writer The other panelists included Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger of Twitter Files fame. They documented how the U.S. government systematically worked hand-in-glove with Twitter during the pandemic to censor content the government didn't like. I was invited to give an international perspective and reflect on the erosion of free speech in Canada over the years, which I have seen at first hand, and also what is happening in other Western liberal democracies. For Canada, I shared three stories on the erosion of free speech that many of you will already be aware of. Let's start with the Freedom Convoy protests of 2022, which saw the Trudeau government use draconian emergency powers in the form of the Emergencies Act to crush a peaceful protest. Specifically, I shared the story of Danny Bulford, who had been an RCMP officer and a sniper in the prime minister's protective detail. In 2021, Danny decided to resign from the RCMP because he elected not to get the COVID vaccine and he joined the protests in 2022. Like many others, Danny was arrested and then released without charge. And then like hundreds of others, Danny found himself debanked by the federal government, not knowing how he and his family would put food on the table or make their next mortgage payment. Danny had no idea how long he'd be locked out of his accounts. Think for a second how terrifying that must be. You've committed no crime. You've not been charged with a crime. Yet you're being punished by the state to slap you down and keep you in line. Now, this is the kind of thing that happens in totalitarian states like China, but yet it is happening right here in Canada. Fortunately for Danny, he got access to his bank accounts a week later, but that doesn't make what happened to him okay. And remember, there were hundreds of people whose lives were turned upside down just like this for holding a view the government didn't like. I also discussed the harmful effects of the Online News Act, something we've talked about before uh, on the show, ostensibly trying to level the playing field in reality, it's a big money grab by the federal government, forcing social media companies to fork out hundreds of millions of dollars to the legacy media, which already receive millions of dollars in direct government subsidies. Google recently made a deal with the feds, but Meta, the parent company of uh, Facebook and Instagram, has refused, resulting in media content, news content being blocked, for users in Canada. This is impacting many small independent media companies that rely on Facebook and Instagram for uh, eyeballs and new subscriptions. I spoke to one journalist based out of Montreal. He's an independent investigative journalist. Christopher Curtis runs an investigative digital media platform called The Rover. His company is now dying a slow death, according to him because of the Online News Act. He might actually need to shut down and go back into construction work or drive an Uber to make ends meet for him and his family. Ironically, Chris is very much on the progressive left, yet he's been as badly uh, affected by the Online News Act as any media company on the right. Censorship, you see, doesn't play favorites, and this is a subtle form of censorship because in the name of a level playing field you in fact advantage legacy media which largely toes the party line and disadvantage independent voices from both the left and the right who challenge the consensus and the orthodox establishment narrative finally i also told the committee about the tragic death of richard bilkstow which i wrote about for the free press richard was a beloved toronto school principal who taught mostly underprivileged kids in the Toronto area. One day his life went down into a downward spiral. What was his crime? Besides being white and male, he had the temerity to push back against a DEI consultant who claimed that Canada was more racist and more unjust than the United States. Just for doing this, he was publicly and repeatedly humiliated and shamed by not just the DI consultant, but also by his peers, people he had taught with over the years. From being an honored school principal, he was shunned by his own colleagues and lost numerous work opportunities. Eventually, Richard committed suicide, tragically. This is yet another form of censorship, public humiliation of those who don't agree with the establishment progressive view that views Canada as fundamentally racist country. There were so many other stories I could have told the committee and some you've heard on the show before. I also talked about worrying trends in Europe. Look at Ireland and France. Their governments are crafting new legislation to censor speech. Ireland's proposed new legislation expected to become law in a few weeks, would be the most draconian in the free world. With a vague and opaque definition of hate, just about anything the government says is hate speech can be considered hate speech and be punishable as a crime. This is frightening. What's more, you don't even have to say anything. You just have to have a meme on your phone that you haven't shared, even that would qualify. As I told the committee, it would, it, this is straight out of the Minority Report uh, featuring Tom Cruise, where in a society in the not-too-distant future, advanced beings called the precogs determine that a crime is going to be committed and you are to be arrested even before there is any crime just because you have the wrong thoughts in your head. Canada is actually not too far behind this dystopian future. Our constitutional protections for free speech in Canada are weaker than in the United States, which under their first and fourth amendments to the Constitution has the most robust protections for free speech anywhere on planet Earth. The U.S. Supreme Court over the years has made it clear the bar for censoring speech in the public square must be very high. There must be an actual and imminent threat of violence that can be traced directly to an act of speech, such as telling people that you will pay them to go and kill so-and-so. Short of that, the US protects all speech, even speech that would be considered deplorable and offensive. Let's not forget that free speech is a core value of our Western civilization, going back to the European enlightenment of the 18th century. Thinkers as diverse as David Hume, Immanuel Kant, Um, and Voltaire upheld the right of free expression and free and open debate as a prerequisite for civilized society. We are sadly now on a slippery slope in Canada and many other places in the West where gradually we're giving up this core Western value. And my warning to the committee was that Americans must be vigilant too, because if we lose America in this fight, then what hope do the rest of us have? Lastly, and as if to prove my point, my testimony received wide coverage in the U.S. I was interviewed by Fox News and a couple of other uh, media outlets, but it absolutely had zero coverage in the legacy media here in Canada. Why? Because it didn't fit the narrative they wanted to tell that everything is hunky dory in Trudeau's Canada and reporting on my testimony wouldn't fit that narrative. Q-E-D.